I don't speak to many people who have done stand-up comedy at sex parties, but my guest this week has done exactly that. Rosie Wilby, who's an award-winning comedian, author, speaker, podcaster, is an expert in the psychology of human relationships. She is a regular contributor on radio, TV, and podcasts, and many other channels. Just sharing what she's learned about interpersonal communication, boundaries, how do you create mutual respect and accountability. So for anybody who's in a team or running a team, this session will be, be of interest to you in terms of how do you get it right? Why don't we do more relationship building courses when it's so fundamental to our ability to, to build the ultimate team and to deliver what we set out to deliver? Uh, really fascinating. We don't go big into the sex bodies, but uh, it's an interesting angle. A fantastic welcome to the TRM podcast to Rosie Wilby. Rosie, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It'll get smoother, don't worry, it'll get smoother. <laughs> um, so you're an you're a, uh, award-winning comedian, author, speaker and podcaster. And you've built this, this uh, wonderful combination of, um, of areas that you get involved with, all about relationships, so it seems. That's right. Thank you for that introduction. I do indeed speak and work around the area of human relationships and connection, and in fact, disconnection when sometimes our relationships sadly end. So I toured a trilogy of shows all around the world, looking at the psychology of love and relationships, beginning with a a spoofy lecture about attraction called The Science of Sex. I then did a show which turned into a book, which was called Is Monogamy Dead? Asking some of these complex questions about what our boundaries are are around infidelity or what counts as cheating. And then I did a show about breakups, which ended up inspiring a podcast that has listeners all around the world and now has become my second book as well, The Breakup Monologues, where I talk to fellow comedians, authors, creatives, and academics and experts about our very best and worst stories of endings and breakups and how we've recovered from them. And sometimes we invented ourselves and found that actually that breakup, that ending was a catalyst to an exciting new life journey or adventure. Love it. Love it. Uh, and we'll get, we'll get into under the skin of relationships, uh, what to do when they don't work, how to, how to make them work, particularly obviously in the context of the workplace, which is mm. what a lot of our, our audience will be interested in, in, in sort of considering and get under the skin of. But just in terms of your journey, because it always fascinates me with somebody who ends up with something like you. I mean, you worked at Time Out, you're a BBC presenter, and then you moved into the world of, of, of comedy, your podcasting, etc. When did you work out you were funny? Well, I was a musician and I worked in the music industry in various guises. Like you say, as a music journalist for Time Out for many years, back when it was a big, thick magazine full of information and we used to get listings sent in by fax. And obviously it's just stopped printing its uh, physical issues now, which is a real shame. I I love Time Out and have a a special history and uh, special fondness for it. 
But yeah, I was involved with journalism and writing and also in business in, to some degree. I had my own music PR company where I did promotions and PR for a number of artists, Ivan Novello winning songwriters and one of the bands who were the first to ever appear on Dragon's Den and get some money. <laughs> they didn't actually go on to great fame and fortune, sadly, but I, I won't, I won't uh, claim responsibility for their downfall. Um, <laughs> so I did a number of, of different things. And I think, you know, when I was much younger, I'd got great grades at school and had really been put forward for sort of high-powered jobs. And I think I made a decision I wanted to sort of weave a slightly more interesting path or interesting to me at least and find a way of creating my own story, finding my own narrative, my own ideas and opinions and forming those outside of a large organisation like the BBC where I did do some work and had had some high-powered job interviews once back in the day. Um, and I also think there's an important point about diversity and inclusion here and in that I came out as a gay woman back in the 1990s where I suppose part of my decision to be something of an outsider and take a really creative route back to perhaps the more corporate world where I'm, I'm doing more speaking work now is that I thought there wasn't that sense of being able to be authentic, which we fortunately do have now because all organizations are so much more clued up about diversity and inclusion, which is a wonderful thing. So I think I've trod this really interesting path at times where I've created my own show shows and toured them around the world and really created my own career and my own luck to some degree and had to be a saleswoman and wear many hats, had to design my posters and think about photo shoots and and managing my gigs and booking my tours and flights and travel and hotels and doing lots of different tasks and juggling them and actually learning a great deal about how a number of different industries all work and ultimately in this particular area I've moved into about how human relationships work which has has been really really fascinating and I've been particularly interested in how our stories do evolve in and out of our professional and career stories, our personal and, you know, romantic relationships are very interconnected with how we approach our workplace relationships too. And I suppose to some extent, I saw myself as an outsider because I was a gay woman, as I suppose in some ways that informed my decision to go into comedy where perhaps you could be rebellious, perhaps you could question the status quo, perhaps you could question, you know, the structures by which, by which we live and ideas like monogamy and these ways that we have relationships when perhaps we need to talk about what that even means in order to have authentic monogamous relationships. We need to know what, what boundaries our partner or we ourselves put around that. And that, and the bit, I mean, you, you, you clearly uh, uh, very articulate, very good at writing, uh, and you work in the creative field. When, when did, when did the focus move to relationships, and what triggered that? That was in two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, really, and it was when I was in a relationship that 
was one of those very compelling but very challenging relationships where neither of us was quite getting our needs met in it, but somehow neither of us could quite break it off and leave. And ultimately, my partner at the time broke up with me by email, which I've, I've joked about <laughs> that I felt much better after correcting her spelling <laughs> and punctuation. Now, of course, that's a silly joke to sort of deflect and and you know, open up the fact that we actually feel very discombobulated when a situation that we've become accustomed to and actually chemically addicted to ends. And how do we adjust to that? How do we adapt to that change? And in that situation, you know, over a decade ago, well, 20, you know, a long time ago, um, I adjusted to that really badly. But I think what I've done and worked hard to do in the years since is investigate how we can become more emotionally agile and I think comedians actually need to do that on a daily basis because we go on stage and sometimes we fail sometimes the audience don't get it and don't like us uh, sometimes the venue's just set up in a really rubbish way and the ceiling's really high and the noise evaporates of that lovely laughter that you want to hear coming back to you and echoing around you in a in a wonderful warm embrace so yeah you I think as a comedian do become very adept at learning from failure and from those catastrophic gigs, you reinvent the script, you rewrite what you want to say on stage. And I had to take that approach in my personal life really and learn to embrace this rejection as an opportunity for growth, actually take that time that I now had not spending with a partner to write and reflect and think and have some therapy and do all the things that we do need to do when we are faced with an abrupt change that we were not expecting, when we have to absorb a shock. And yes, I think for many people, it can be the making of them ultimately, although it's hard to see it when you're right in the thick of it. And I suppose that's what I've been trying to communicate is to help people when they are in the thick of a rejection, whether it's a job loss or a breakup, we lose this sense of identity, this label that we've been wearing and we've become very, very attached to that formed this fundamental pillar of our sense of self, of our identity. We like to say, I am a wife and a mother. I am the MD of this company or this business. And, you know, and I like to say I am a comedian, but perhaps I'm evolving a little bit away from comedy into speaking and writing and a slightly different career. But it's hard sometimes to let go of the old labels that have been so much a part of our journey up to where we are now. Yeah. And I suppose I suppose relationships is a topic, if you're on stage, is relevant to everybody. So uh, it's a great, <laughs> great one to go down. I've got to be really careful. I don't get too deep and heavy about my divorce and subsequent <laughs> relationship breakdowns I've had in the years since. Uh, luckily, I'm in a great place, very happy in a relationship, but I'll... Oh, good, good, I'm glad. I mean, we can, we can talk off air, we'll talk later. Off air. I'll, I'll, <laughs> a couple of hours would be great. Um, but, the, um, but the other thing, actually, what you're touching on there, even though, um, you know, your podcasts are all about relationships. And by the way, I listened to, um, I listened to one of your podcasts um, randomly. It was 2019. It was with uh, Richard Herring and Caroline Maybe. Uh, mm. two people I've never heard of um, who are happily in a relationship I was just checking they're still together that was before the pandemic hopefully they're still well, together they're, yeah they're not in a relationship together 
but they're both in separate, very happy relationships, but they are friends and they know each other well and know each other's partners. And what was particularly interesting about that podcast was that both of them really likened their long-term relationships to a business relationship, a business partnership, where you are constantly negotiating who is going to look after the kids, who's going to put the bins out, who's going to make dinner. And there are so many different tasks that we have to divide up that it really is all about that communication and respectful communication and sometimes moments of kindness and compassion that show that you do actually care that that person has given you the opportunity to go off on tour because (laughs) they've been keeping things going at home. And I've often spoken to couples who are both comedians. Um, Recently at Latitude Festival, I spoke to Marcus Brigstock and Rachel Paris, who are a couple and have a child, and they actually brought their child along to the podcast and realised they hadn't sorted out a childminder so the stage manager quickly had some extra responsibilities um but yeah they sort of talked about those negotiations that they have to constantly have so they can both go about their very busy careers and I think we do sometimes have to demystify romantic relationships and be fairly pragmatic about them in the way that we are about our business and and working relationships it's not to say that love isn't amazing (laughs) when it happens and when we fall in love but actually chemically our brains do adjust to being with that person and the the wonderful high that we feel when we meet somebody does die down a little bit and we sometimes mistake that for falling out of love but we've actually just moved into a different stage of what we would call attachment and I do think we move into a stage of feeling very attached to our jobs and our colleagues as well and we can feel lost when when those situations end too the um and i guess um when you've spent a long time talking about breakups as you have then that, that gives some pretty good steers about how to make it work in the first place um do you so if we if we move to the you know to the world of business and organizations and uh I'm really interested in terms of of what we what we can learn, what we should be thinking about. I mean, I, I've never seen a a course, for example, on relationship building, specifically on relationship building. You can see things like, you know, I was talking to a member the other day who's who's done a big series of modules around about empathy. There's emotional intelligence. There's you know, there's connecting with others, etc. But actually, purely about relationships as an organisation, you know. We, we we, um, we employ a lot of people within within TRN. I've had a business partner for sixteen years, James. Um, it's it's really interesting if we if if we all understood a little bit more some of those basics that underpin good solid relationships, then that would be quite powerful. And again, I, my experience might be different to yours, but I just don't see organisations saying, right, we're going to spend half a day, we're going to talk about relationships. This is really how to make relationships work, and whether it's colleague relationships, client relationships stakeholder relationships um you know let alone personal relationships it just feels that's um maybe something we should be focusing on a little bit more you're absolutely right our our workplace connections are interlinked in so many complex ways there's a real constellation of 
professional connections that we all have, whether we're self-employed or we head a small business or are part of a very, very large organization. And, you know, it sounds cliche, but communication really is key. And I think sometimes when we put ourselves outside of our comfort zones is when we do the most creative learning. And for a moment, I just want to take you to a very bizarre situation I put myself in when I was researching my first book I decided to go and do comedy at a cabaret that was part of a sex party which is not um, something I'm suggesting everybody needs to go and do if you want to absolutely it's all, all research Rosie that's okay <laughs> Um, but what was really interesting to me was there were a set of rules that everyone signed up to on entering the space about respecting one another's boundaries, about practicing safe sex, obviously, but also there was a sense of accountability on entering the party. You had to have what they call a pal, somebody who will vouch for your behavior and will take you home if you're going to be rowdy or be aggressive or not very nice or pleasant and there was also just not very much alcohol being consumed and so I do think that we need to have some kind of codes of, of conduct that we understand that you know I, I, as I was saying we don't often discuss what concepts like monogamy mean in relationships and that's problematic because this is where you get people feeling betrayed or hurt because their partner has had some kind of affair. Perhaps it was an emotional affair and they didn't know that counted. So I think if we can communicate what our boundaries are, what is okay, what isn't okay, what we're looking for, what our expectations are, and to understand that sometimes we have unrealistic expectations of personal and also workplace relationships. I mean, when I worked for many years as a music publicist with my own company, I would have bands come to me expecting that I was going to immediately get them onto the cover of Q, uh, which sadly is another magazine that doesn't exist anymore, but was probably the main, the key title back when I was doing music PR in the, in the 90s and early noughties. And so we have to really set these boundaries, set our expectations and communicate those in, in kind and compassionate and clear ways. I think particularly in our British culture, we can be a little awkward around communicating what we're expecting, what we need, what we want, whether that is in a, you know, an extremely intimate setting, like some of the relationships that I've been investigating, or whether it is in the workplace in a very different setting. I think we can sometimes find it very hard to communicate what we're looking for from somebody. But I found that when I met my wife, who I've now <laughs> married, um, we were just so much better at communicating because we had had relationships that hadn't worked out because the communication had been poor. And we had learned from that and realized we had to really lay everything out on the table on the first date. And to some extent, the title of my first book, which was called Is Monogamy Dead, forced us to have that conversation about boundaries and expectations and desires and what monogamy meant to us. And, and we do have a sexually exclusive partnership, but we had to understand and communicate what that means exactly, because there's so much ambiguity around how we communicate around all of these areas. And I also think face-to-face -face communication is really, really useful if we can do it. Obviously, 
we have so many Zoom meetings now. I'm speaking to you, obviously, over Zoom, and we have so much online engagement and interaction. But I do think that if we can have a conversation, that helps and is possibly better than emails and texts and and social media and, and these other ways of communicating, they all have their place. But I do think for our most important relationships with people that we have to engage with on a very regular daily basis, that we, we need to find some time to have face-to-face contact if we can. Yeah. So a good example of setting expectations might have been you and I agreeing at the beginning of this podcast that all phones are off. Uh, for, those, for those of you listening, by the way, that was my phone that went off. Uh, I wasn't on silence, so completely my bad. Um, shocking hosting. So, if I take, if I think about you and your wife when you first met, you're obviously a bit, a bit, bit of a scientist when it comes to relationships, having having spent a lot of time talking about it and, and thinking about it. If I take that again into the into into the world of which a lot of our listeners will be um, are coming from, if I think of the amount of uh, m- members at the recruitment network, for example, and their employers who have business partners. So like myself and James, who set up 16 years ago. So you have business partners, you set out together on the road because you've got this idea and this concept of building business. And then uh, as they grow, you get boards of people who sit together and are responsible and accountable to take into business where their shareholders want it. And then all across the organization, you've got different teams forming. And yesterday I was talking to this woman who'd just come back from mat leave and she was taking over a new team. Um, I am utterly convinced that the sort of conversations that you're talking about when you talk about setting expectations, behavioral communication expectations are just not uh, happening as the norm. Uh, for and with managers and for and with colleagues when they get together so that whole team concept of if we connect and we have those relationships we're going to be a better team we're going to have more fun along the way I just don't think that's happening and I was trying to think whether that is a uh, is, is a skill set or an awareness or a competency that I don't know how, how to have the conversations in the right way um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that I know it just doesn't happen enough I, I totally agree with you I certainly I have found that in general, we are not good enough at communicating our, our very innermost desires and needs, whether that is, as, as you say, in the professional workplace or when we are, you know, in our, in our most kind of intimate personal relationships. And I, I do think we do need to improve. We do need to have training. We do need to, I mean, some of the academics and experts that I've spoken to are just so you know, so good on all of this. And I I do think moments of kindness, I mentioned that earlier, these are really, really important. And culturally, it's interesting to understand maybe how those alter around the world as well. Um, There's an academic called Jackie Gab, who I've interviewed, who talks about how, you know, in Germany, it might be sort of going out to buy bread rolls in the rain here in this country it might be making a cup of tea for your partner in bed <laughs> um, but there, there's so many different kind of ways we can show our appreciation for people and it really only takes a moment I mean my wife had driven us all the way to a festival in Exeter the other weekend and it was a it was a long old way <laughs> and so you know I bought her flowers to say thank you because obviously after I'd done a gig I was a bit exhausted and so yeah. she she got us back home but you know we sang all the way on the late night drive back and had fun 
but you know obviously i wanted to do some small gesture some small kindness to say thank you i noticed that you did something for me that really meant that i was able to do my job and not worry about getting home um, because you were there waiting in the car so thank you that was amazing and that helped me to thrive in in my role and do what i needed to do so i do think we can show our appreciation for people you know whether that's people who are more senior to us or or people who are working for us i think we that's really really important and and you know giving constructive criticism um you know i mean i obviously i hate it when we as comedians get reviewed uh particularly edinburgh fringe there can be some very very harsh critics and we can get some weird reviews at times things like i once got people are laughing but this isn't funny <laughs> and surely that's a very subjective opinion that's that one critic's opinion that they weren't enjoying it but actually a lot of the audience were so perhaps we need to sometimes remove our own personal biases towards what we think is right and and look at if somebody's doing something that is working even if it wouldn't be exactly the way we would do it ourselves we need to reward and acknowledge that too and communicate and think about why why we aren't enjoying it ourselves <laughs> yeah and that uh, you know there's a lot of talk about um gratitude and you know you're talking you're talking about kindness just from a well-being point of view um and i guess that 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 act of kindness you you buy your wife the flowers for example after she'd done something that really helped you out is 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 a little bit of gratitude demonstrated um and actually the the benefit of that comes comes to you as the giver from a well-being point of view um can i talk about if i was if you, if, if you were back in the day when you were running running your business you had a small team and you were thinking really about i want to take relationships to, to a whole new level because i'm i'm a massive um it's interesting where there's a talent shortage which is in, in a lot of places at the moment and people still fighting hard to find the best talent around then in my experience certainly in, in my first sort of business gig is we worked incredibly hard at working on the culture and building relationships and we didn't necessarily use the word relationships but we wanted to build a team of people who really cared about each other and we worked really really hard about it and we built up a team of 1200 people who, who, who ultimately you know virtually all of them would have crossed coals for, for each other and we had some amazing situations where because of that that sense of belongingness and connection to each other because of the relationships that have been formed um i think we got discretionary effort that people were prepared to invest because of their relationships with with other people so if you in a small business you know if you were trying to say right let's let's make this a relationship-led business where we do we are kind to each other we're grateful to each other we care for each other we support each other how would you sort of reset the rules um in that sort of environment well, I mean, interestingly, when I was running my business, one of the sort of long-standing freelancers who worked for me was an ex-partner. <laughs> so I do think that to some extent, we really had an understanding of one another's strengths and weaknesses. Um, and, you know, she didn't often go out. She had some mild form of agoraphobia, which obviously meant she wasn't somebody I was going to sort of send along to gigs and meetings and festivals and networking events, but it did mean that that was somebody who was often 
able to respond quickly to emails or demands for a photo or artwork or a press release or you know, something that needed to be sent to somebody quickly. I mean, obviously, nowadays, we're all on our phones, we're all very mobile anyway. But perhaps when we were working together, you know, very frequently, then that was less the case. And it was actually very useful to have someone who could quickly be on the end of an email and be on the end of a call and and send things very quickly to people. But I also think that we just knew one another really well from having that relationship and actually having these sort of ultimately difficult, but then conscious to some degree breakup where we, we talked about what hadn't worked and we talked, we learned from the failure in a sense, in, in, in the way that I think comedians do every night when things aren't working out, we, we have to adapt. We have to rewrite the script. We have to learn to fail better and work out how to reinvent the, the relationship with the audience. And I think in the same way, I had to reinvent my relationship with her. I had to let go of any lingering feelings of resentment there might have been about what had happened in the relationship and things that had been challenging and look at how we could move forwards and look to the future and look with a sense of optimism and ambition about what we wanted to achieve together and to communicate that. But I do think it is about knowing a person and I'm very much one for where it's possible to stay amicable with with an ex or somebody that you've broken up with or somebody with that you've you previously worked with. And I do think there's so much healing that goes into that and learning about one's self as well as learning about that relationship and that other person. So I do think it is knowing that person and actually getting to know them and their life and who they are and their identity as well as who they are in the workplace if we can get to know each other on a personal level as well mm-hmm. and find out what makes that person tick and maybe we can connect over favorite music or food or films or food or all of these other things or maybe they're a dog lover <laughs> you know i mean we've, we've got a dog and we I've, I've been amazed since we've had a dog how much dog owners all talk to one another (laughs) Um, and they all talk about their dogs. So I do think we need to get to know each other as people and what, what moves us. Mm. As you were speaking, I was thinking, you know, you, you're used to being on stage in front of a bunch of people that you've got to, uh, and you know, you're going to be vulnerable. You're talking about relationships, you're talking about your personal relationships, the, the confidence and courage and, and, and self-awareness and, ability to have those sort of open adult conversations is not something that you know I think I'm pretty good at it these days but I'm a lot older than I used to be I was pretty rubbish in my 20s so (laughs) I think you know that 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 is that is a cultural thing but it's also a let's create this environment where it's where it's where it's appreciated where we recognize it's healthy to have these sort of conversations and, and be open is um is not always the case Oh, you're absolutely right. And I think another thing that we need to understand about one another is people are all very different. We're getting better understanding of things like neurodiversity and perhaps the different ways that people will approach different subjects or challenges or problems. And I think comedians are a very interesting bunch of people because we there was a big study done many years ago where comedians were found to have an interesting mix of introversion and extroversion, as opposed to actors who might be very extrovert, you often see comedians being 
slightly introverted, which is perhaps contrary to what we'd think because we're people that jump up on stage and want to communicate ideas and, and talk about the world and, and how it is and how things might change. And perhaps that seems to require a certain degree of confidence, but it is about putting on a certain suit of armor and, and cloak. I mean, at one of my shows, I literally did <laughs> wear a, a tiny child suit of armor to sort of be this kind of ghost of, of doomed love. <laughs> um, but I do think that we we need to understand extroverts and introverts may work in different ways. And it is it is about getting to know one another and, and our different approaches. And just just building on that from a diversity and inclusion point of view, um, I know you um, you're patron of a of a charity. Yes, switchboard, um, which is well, a phone line that any person who is experiencing any challenges around their identity, if they think they might be LGBTQI or really any part of, uh, of that LGBTQIA+, they can call and speak to somebody and, and receive information and, and support. And it's, yeah, a wonderful charity who, when I was actually struggling with my own identity many, many years ago, I, I actually gave them a call. Clearly, we're and clearly we're at a much better place than we were when you were in the big organisations back in the, back in the nineties or or whenever it was. The um, are you are you optimistic about the continued momentum that we've got in terms of EDNI? Oh, I I'm really optimistic. I think we are in a really good really good place. I do think. Again, it's interesting to think about people's own personal stories and to think about the uniqueness of those stories. So even though people perhaps my age have been able to get married and perhaps in some cases have children and sort of achieve things that they thought were not possible for them, there may be some past trauma that isn't dealt with. So perhaps it's about understanding people's past experiences as well as their current and present and the, their future possibility. Uh, people's past might have informed some of the choices that they have felt able to make and have felt em empowered to make. And so I think I've had to get over some of the choices that I felt I didn't have when maybe I, maybe I did, but I, I certainly assumed that I didn't and so I think we we have to understand people's narratives of how we got to this place where fortunately we we are in a much better place but you know we need to understand the intersectionality as well and so you know it's not always just you know one sort of area of marginalized marginalization or prejudice or bias that that a person an individual is experiencing so we do need to look at at, at those complex intersectionalities as well um but i do think yeah we're in so much of a better place yeah no that's that's great um uh, i'm really glad we've had this chat rosie it's, it's just actually made me think a lot about you know we talk a lot about team how we build the team within within an organization but fundamentally it is that connection the relationships we have and you know what more could we do and whether we've got business partners or, or we're, we're part of a team what could we do as managers as leaders as individuals just to take relationships to the to the next level and it, it does feel a lot, a lot of it's around the those conversations confidence to have them um and um the desire to have them and the the sort of 
ability to ask the right questions and, and, and be open about, open about it. So it's really interesting. I can't I can't say goodbye without um, touching on. Uh, we'll talk about where people can speak to you. But anybody listening to this, you can I ask you to just check out Rosie Wilby, polysaturated giant lesbians. Uh, my favorite. My favourite clip of the summer um, on YouTube. Uh, poly I didn't think today I'd be talking about sex parties and rules rules that we should be having at sex parties or polysaturated giant lesbians, but there you go. Um, it's a very, very, very funny <laughs> clip. Absolutely loved it. Um, so how can people reach out to you, work with you? Uh, well, the world of business and organisations. Yes, I, I would love to hear from people if they want to sort of talk about using humour to demystify these areas of human relationships and how we can enhance and build our relationships, particularly in this uncertain world where maybe we sometimes are experiencing changes in our lives and particularly as we as we get older in our careers and perhaps our sense of identity is changing as well. So I am on Twitter at Rosie Wilby. I'm on Instagram at Breakup Monologues. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. And also um, you can, yeah, you can find me, rosiewilby.com. You can email me through there as well. So thank you so much for this conversation, Gordon. No, it's been brilliant, Rosie. Loved it. Thank you very much. And we'll, we'll speak again. Thank you. Follow us on social media by searching the Recruitment Network on LinkedIn and Facebook at the Recruitment Network on Instagram and at the REC Network 1 on Twitter.